0: Hello, hope you're doing well. It's Lauren with another creative check in. And this week's is do not become too reliant on any particular outlet for your creativity. And this includes social media. So last week, something happened a little debacle of sorts on social media. And I'm not talking about the worldwide Instagram shutdown that happened on Wednesday. This was something that happened prior to that and that felt much more permanent and much more personal. On Tuesday the day of the show came out last week, I had posted a photo and I checked it about I don't know 2 hours later to see if people were commenting and to reply back if you had commented and I couldn't get into the to the the profile our page was disabled. And apparently it was disabled because we had, quote unquote, violated Instagram's terms, which we later found out wasn't true. It was just a glitch. And I think it was connected somehow to how Instagram went down basically worldwide on Wednesday. But there were two and a half days where the page just didn't exist. And I don't know if you noticed that. For that period in time, I thought that the account may never come back And right now it's where everyone's going to be in community together and to talk and to share their work and where I can share your work and I can share things about the podcast and we can all just be creative together. And so I had to really grapple with the fact that maybe this isn't going to come back. I did. I took the proper steps. And if that ever does happen to you, they've got a help page that you can go to and, you know, make sure you can basically report it and and then they reinstate your page. So they did that. I'm grateful. But the whole issue that it brought up for me was, you know, we put so much emphasis on social media and it's great. And it's an amazing tool. And I have loved connecting with you all so much on there. But for any creative and any person really that is making their living from something that isn't a nine to five job, I think we really need to start thinking about diversifying our portfolio. So not only relying on, you know, Instagram, take up the other social medias, build those out. I, I really only focused on Instagram, but I think it's important to kind of spread our wings and see what else is out there. Work on your personal website, have an email list built up. I really even want to start doing in-person meetups where we can all get together and support each other's creativity there. And so whatever the equivalent of that would be for your business or for your creativity, make sure you're doing that. Even if it's just like getting a couple friends together for coffee and exchanging ideas, we can't have everything tied up online because ultimately, like we saw on Wednesday, like everyone saw, it could all go kaput. At any time. And luckily, they brought it right back up. But we don't know how long these pages are going to be around for. And if all of your income or all of your creative outlet is going into that one place, then you're kind of shutting yourself off from all these other opportunities. It's just like when you diversify your portfolio as a creative, you know? I always think you should not just do one thing, especially the way the economy is going. It's not going to sustain unless you're an incredible prodigy a one track lifestyle. It's important to have many different things going. Plus, it's just good for your self-esteem because if one thing isn't going that well, you've got this other little thing to like bolster it up and make you feel like, hey, yeah, well, maybe this part of my creativity isn't skyrocketing, but I do have this other thing that's happening. And when I say you should have more than one creative outlet. I don't mean like if you're an artist, you have to be a singer and a dancer. If you want to be all those things, I think you should be all those things. But I'm saying if you're an artist, um, maybe you sell things online. Maybe you have a gallery where you've got your art. Maybe you teach and maybe you have a podcast and then a blog. I think it's really smart to have many different ways to make income if possible and i do worry like i was actually i was sweating for those instagram models on wednesday thinking wow if i'm feeling sad about the fact that this community is potentially gone and i'm going to have to rebuild from the start and you know i'm at like 200 followers right now these people who have 3 million and are making their whole living on there must be in a pool of sweat but they look really hot so it's fine <laughs> But it but it did make it did make one ponder, you know? How much are we really gonna tie up in this? You can't tie up everything. Just a bad idea. Bad idea to ever give any one thing in this world all the power over your life. Don't do it. That's that. And let's also get to our creative of the week. So I want to give a shout out to our community member, Cynthia Garcia, a.k.a. Modern Color. And she is an incredible abstract painter who creates beautifully evocative work. She says her work is inspired by the coastal Caribbean colors of the place in Honduras where her family is from. Like I said, it's incredibly evocative, colorful, and uplifting. She's also really vulnerable and open about mental health. And she's an inspiration to all of us who struggle with that. Thank you to Cynthia for being a great artist and an example to us all. And I also loved it because she posted a picture of herself painting while listening to the podcast. And if any of you have photos of you doing something creative while listening, I'd love to see those and feature them on our page. So be sure to send those in. So go peep some of Cynthia's work. I'm trying out a young person's word. Peep it. You can check her out at Modern Color. That's at M O D O. U-R-N-C-O-L-O-R. Now let's get to our guest. Laura Escaday is a musical artist, entrepreneur, top-tier music technologist, and the world's most in-demand live show designer. And that title is no BS. She's designed shows for the likes of Kanye, Drake, Miguel, Jay-Z, Iggy Azalea, and Childish Gambino. Through her company, Electronic Creatives, which she's a CEO of, no big deal, she's worked with even more names, including The Weeknd, Harry Styles, Camila Cabello, and Ariana Grande. Laura started as a violinist and an artist, shifted into electronic music, then to music technology and live shows, then entrepreneurship, and now, after almost 20 years in the business,
1: she's found a way to combine her diverse set of skills into one badass career. Don't let anyone tell you no that you can't do it. I got told no a lot when I was younger. And I, sometimes I step back, you know, but then I stopped stepping back. I started just, okay, I realize that you think that I can't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I just grew into my power, you know? And so we put ourselves in these boxes, you know, and if you, Subscribe to the boxes that other people are putting you in, then you're not going to win for yourself.
0: We sat down to record this interview at her hotel room during the National Association of Music Merchants Conference, aka NAM, back in January in between her performances. I wanted to have her on for a multitude of reasons, probably the biggest one to show you and me that we can have many lives within one lifetime. And what's more is if you work really hard, you can live all those lives simultaneously. She also has tons of insight into many different areas in the music industry. So if you have ever wondered about or wanted to get into music, this talk will tickle you. And also it will just have some really great info. <laughs> From our conversation, you'll learn how to set boundaries, break through glass ceilings, tap into your intuition, and how to pursue many creative careers at once. Now here she is, Laura Escadet. When you trace your life and you think back to yourself as a kid, what were the first signs that you were creative?
1: Well, when I was five or six years old, I saw a girl playing violin in my church and I had no idea what it was I just knew that I wanted to play it and I just loved the freedom that I saw her have on stage and just the movements and she was just very um, inspiring to me and I decided that I had to learn how to play violin so I just picked up the violin and just started to get creative with it and that started my journey.
0: And did you want to be a violinist at that point? Was that your career
1: aspiration? It was, yeah. I thought I was going to be a violinist uh, only (laughs) for a long time. Oh, little Laura, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) There was so much more to the journey than that. How did your upbringing and your culture within your family influence your creative life? Was it encouraged, discouraged?
1: It was encouraged. My mom was a musician, yeah, not professionally, but she played guitar and piano and she sang. So I picked up some things from her. Definitely. Uh, Yeah, it was encouraged, but they never pressured me to practice or play. I just wanted to. And I think that's why I kept up with it because a lot of my friends, they were pressured to practice for two hours a day or whatever, and then they just didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm thankful for that.
0: If someone does have that sort of upbringing where they were basically like stage parented Mm -hmm. and they've got that negative association with it, what is a way you think that people can kind of throw that away and get back to the joy of creating?
1: I think just stepping outside of your comfort zones, right? So for me, even though I had that, I still was stuck in playing classical music, which was great, but you're reading notes off of a page. It's not really about your own creativity. It's about how you can perform the notes on the page and getting outside of that box that I put, I had been put in myself was a challenge yeah Mm. to be able to learn how to improvise so I think just stripping away everything that you know and going and trying something completely different like for me it was okay I'm not going to read the music on the page anymore I'm going to try to improvise I know this sounds terrible but I'm going to just put on a song that's on the radio or now on Spotify and just jam over it and see what I can come up with I think that's really helpful to just Just do almost a 180 to what you know.
0: And break the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, what do you think about rules? I mean, they can sometimes create structure that allows you to be more creative, but how do you know when it's a good time to like follow that path and stay within the box of the rules or bust out of the box?
1: (laughs) I'm just a big fan of busting out of the box. Yeah, you you are. (laughs) Just straight up. Yeah.
0: I think rules can provide a good thing to fall back on, you know, like with songwriting. It's good to know what the rules are, mm-hmm. but then it's good to know them so that you can break them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely some cases, like you mentioned, in songwriting mm-hmm. or some production. You know, if you're you're making pop music, there's you know, sometimes people adhere to a certain song structure, but then a lot of the best pop music out there doesn't adhere to that. And you're like, "Whoa, why does this, it sounds different, or there's like a chorus that's just the hook continues and there's different versions of that or there's not one at all and there's songs on the radio right now that don't have a hook or a chorus at all so it's just interesting to see there's no like magic formula you know as far as what hits and what grabs people's attention
0: right i think as long as whatever you're creating makes people feel something then you're doing it right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And people want to feel that connection to the artist and who they're all about. And if that shines through, I think that's more, yeah, it's, people are more apt to connect with the artistry.
0: Absolutely. So I want to get to your rule breaking. What was the creative path you took to get you to where you are now?
1: So I went to Vanderbilt in Florida State and I just, I studied music performance. Smarty pants. Good for you. <laughs> and my junior year of college, I um uh, my best friend's boyfriend was a DJ. And they said, "Do you come to this rave with us." And for almost a year I was like, "No, I'm I don't rave. I don't go to raves." And uh I don't it didn't even know what it was, and I didn't understand what a DJ did. I was like, "Okay, so they're playing other people's music? Like that, that doesn't seem interesting to me." Finally, they said, no, you really should come to this one rave. So I did, and it just completely blew my mind wide open because I hadn't seen – first of all, this kind of a culture, this inclusivity, this just like breaking of the rules. It was a completely different style of music than anything I'd ever heard. And I just fell in love with it. And I made it my mission to find out exactly what every genre was, how they were different from one another. I started playing violin over drum and bass music, which... With the time it sounded like a good idea It was very challenging. <laughs> I
0: mean, it seemed because so many people do those kind of things now, but you were really breaking new ground at that point.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, this is the the DJ said, "You want to what? <laughs> want to play violin over the sun. Okay, cool. But yeah, it was it was really different for that time, and yeah, funny story. George Clinton lived in Tallahassee at Florida State. And I ended up meeting him and his son and some other members of his band, and they came into this uh, club that I was promoting at, and I was promoting and booking all different kinds of interesting music. And um, I started going into the studio with them, and I started playing violin over their productions and learning how to produce, and that was really what got my feet wet in the production world.
0: So there's so many cool things within that story that I'd love to break down. One is you had that moment where you went to the rave and it was that light bulb moment like, oh, I belong here. Mm -hmm. Some people maybe would have thrown that away or pushed it away for a while, maybe because they're scared. I mean, to go from being a violinist to now you're going to be a, a rave musician. I don't know what you even would have called it back then. I mean, were you calling it DJing?
1: Uh, I think I was calling it attempting to play violin over DJ's music. Okay, cool. At that time. So,
0: like, how how did you know to trust your gut in that moment? And how can others in a similar kind of, like, shapeshifter moment of their life do the same?
1: Mm. I think just really tapping into my intuition, you know, Mm. and really just putting one foot in front of the other. Like I didn't know I would end up where I am now. I had no idea, but I just I thought, well, I want to try this. I want to see if this can work. I want to try m- and make this work. And so, yeah, I think it wasn't a conscious decision or anything like that. It was just something I felt compelled to do. And I just was ready to explore. You know, I was ready to explore and step out of my comfort zone.
0: And then meeting those other musicians, you said George Clinton, right? Yes. So how did you... Get yourself in that studio. like what what was the opening door for you to walk through? Because a lot of times people are afraid to ask for something. they're afraid to tell someone who they are or what they do. How did you cross that bridge?
1: Well, I started by just kind of being a fly on the wall. You know, I became friends with his circle, and he had a lot of younger producers around and so I became friends with the circle and just kind of sat around and tried to look over their shoulders and see what they were doing. And then pretty soon I got confidence and I started trying things on my own and using the software at home and making different weird sounds. And then I <laughs> decided to step up and say, hey, let me control, uh, be in charge of this session. And that that's how I started producing.
0: And so you started producing, how long did you produce for before you started doing live design live show design and Mm -hmm. then you started you were the world's very first certified ableton expert and trainer so how did all these other aspects of your artistry come to play Mm.
1: so i moved to la and started working at a music tech company called m audio then later ableton At Ableton, I became the first West Coast product specialist. And then after that, became the first certified trainer. And so that, after that, it led into doing live show programming and design for different artists. So it was wow. many years later that I fell into this. And I didn't even know that was a career or that was an option at the time. It wasn't like something where, pe- you know, you go in uh, after college and you say, I'm going to become a live show programmer. Right. <laughs> you know, I, no one knew that that was even a career. So yeah. that kind of was the same thing that happened
0: to me with producing podcasts. Like I didn't ever intend to do that. I didn't actually, I fought it with all my might. I was like, I am not doing that. I'm a singer songwriter. I'm a host. I'm not doing that. And then it's like, okay, I'm really supposed to do this because I could not beat it away from me. And I was so good at it. And it was annoying, but, (laughs) but exciting because Uh it helps you become better at every other aspect of your job. Oh, totally. So how did you open yourself up to that? And how did you tell yourself that you did know what you were doing in an area where you kind of never anticipated going?
1: Well, at first I didn't know, and I had to figure it out quickly. So it was a lot of, like, faking it until I made it. How did you do that? Yeah, Um, (laughs) Just really trial and error. You know, I didn't have anyone that was like, here's how you do this. Right. So I had to figure it out on the spot, and I remember not being very good at it in the beginning, and... Just really trying to learn from other people if I encountered them. But there weren't a lot of people at that time that were doing this. So it was really just figuring it out as I went along and just thinking, oh, okay, it would be easier if I did this. Maybe I could try this. I could use this kind of gear. It might sound better. All that mm-hmm. kind of stuff.
0: So during this time period, because you're still an artist, you're always, you've are always you always been an artist. Yeah. You always will be. Yeah. During this time period, Are you telling people about that part of your life? Are you performing yourself? How is that coming into play through all these other things you're doing?
1: So I still kept up with my artistry, of course, and was playing shows. Touring and, and doing shows with, with other artists became my bread and butter, right? That was like the thing that was paying my bills. And of course, I would get paid to do my artistry as well, but just not on the same level. And so, yeah, I kept up with the touring with different artists for quite some time until I decided that I wanted to focus back on my artistry and what that meant to me.
0: So during that time when you are largely known as a live show creator. Mm-hmm. Were you telling people you were an artist? Because I know people get weird about that in this industry and in mm-hmm. all industries. Like if you – especially if you're multi-hyphenate at all, they get weird. But especially if part of your multi-hyphenate is that you're an artist, people yeah. get really weird. How did you make sure that part of you stayed alive and that you told people that's who you were?
1: Mm, yeah. So I was careful, you know, with, with certain artists. I wasn't as vocal about it because I was being hired to do a job. And mm-hmm. they really – I could tell. They didn't care. They didn't want to know that was an artist. They're like, we want you to do this certain thing, and that's that's it. And so I knew I'm very intuitive about that stuff. I'm very just self-aware, and I just des- you know decided not to speak about it. But then in other circumstances, like, for instance, I toured with Miguel for the better part of a year on his mm-hmm. Wild Heart tour, and I became friends with him, and part of the deal kind of going into it was that I was going to perform in his band and be playing back all of his music and help him, you know, design the show from a musical standpoint. And I noticed that he needed some music in between the opening band and the sh- the show. So I said, Hey, you know, I would love to play some music in between. And he said, yes. So I started DJing in between the opening band and uh, his set and then that turned into like a proper opening slot on his European tour where I opened every night and got to play my music and DJ and all that kind of stuff so I felt comfortable in that scenario and I Mm -hmm. knew that they could say no you know they could not hire me again or they could say yes and they did they said yes and it was a great synergy and um, so that's a good example but I think yeah I just like to pick and choose yeah. you know, who I'm sharing that with and see if – make it really worth it, you know.
0: You do. You have to kind of tap into someone's energy before yeah. you say it. Yeah. Because I have the same experience with podcasting where I kind of have to feel it out if I'm going to tell someone that I also host because they uh-huh. can – people get threatened or weird or they just, uh-huh. like you said, don't care. Yeah. And, uh, you know – I've, I've worked with a lot of like high-end celebrities, and I know you have as well, yep. and it's really taught me how I want to be as a leader and as an entertainer and as a producer and, and how to exist in spaces of power. What is one of the harder experiences you've had with someone in a position of power? It doesn't have to be one of the celebrities, mm-hmm. but what what was that and how what did it teach you about how to react and how to be a leader?
1: Well- So when I toured with Kanye, I toured with him for about seven years and did all of his uh, music programming for his show. And there were a lot of challenges where there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of people having to make decisions at the last Mm -hmm. minute. And for a while, I didn't really know how to direct that, right? And so after some time learning, okay, this is what's possible. This isn't what's possible for me. And learning how to communicate that made me stronger as a leader Mm -hmm. because I realized they don't know my job. They don't know what this entails. And it's up to me to really set the precedent. Okay, this is what's possible. I can do this by this time or I can't. I can do this by tomorrow. And so there's been just certain circumstances with artists. They think, do this thing; it's going to be easy. Make mm-hmm. it happen, and it's really not that easier. It just—it's more time-consuming. The lights are coming down for the show, and they want you to make all these changes. So, I think learning how to impress upon people and—and and just with a confidence, you mm-hmm. know, in that leadership role, this is what I can do. This mm-hmm. is what I can't do, and just being very clear—that has been. A game changer for me because earlier on I didn't know how to communicate that and I felt like I was suffering and then the show would suffer as well because I'd be so stressed out making things trying to make things happen in that moment
0: right setting boundaries I think is one of the most important lessons any human being can learn but especially a creative uh-huh. and it's hard w- it's hard when you cuz i've had a situation very similar to what uh-huh. you just described and so to like backtrack and set the boundaries at that point is it's really hard mm-hmm. but i think what you're saying is it's so important to be up front from the beginning and to communicate what's possible from the beginning
1: absolutely cuz in this yeah.
0: this career path in a, any creative career path there's just kind of like boundless
1: mm-hmm.
0: boundless possibilities totally and that, then
1: the ex- expectations are just huge right and if you don't ever say no or you don't set those boundaries then they're just going to keep asking for these crazy things all all the time. So, and right. artists it's and it's amazing too though at the same time because I love being around artists and they have that energy and like, let's let's make this happen. I'm like, okay, great. I love making stuff happen. However, here's what I can make happen and here's what I can't make happen.
0: Right, because the worst thing is to be like, yes, yes, yes and then you're like, what did mm-hmm. I just commit to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I know you had a issue. I mean, in 2016 your health was really really suffering and I mm-hmm. I definitely can see that happening with all of the weight of everything you were carrying at that time. Yeah. How did you know it was time to put a hard limit on what was going on and just stop and take care of yourself? Mm. And how did that affect your future creative life?
1: Well... I call it now divine intervention. Yeah. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. But at the time, it was very challenging and I didn't see it that way. Um, So in early 2016, I was... uh, traveling around a lot i did shows with kanye miguel and iggy in one week i was flying around different things and i was like back to back did this show with kanye at madison square garden for his pablo album release and then the very next day flew to la and performed with miguel at the forum and it was just i was completely just wiped out and i still don't know exactly what happened but i ate something and it my body reacted to it and I ended up in the hospital and I just had an r- extremely bad reaction to something. And I think it was it was just my body saying, hey, you need to slow down. You need to really take care of yourself and look at this. And so through that, uh, once I got better, I just started really paying attention to how i felt when i would drink alcohol or eat things that weren't necessarily as good for me and you know i've always been very healthy but it would have my moments and so through through this this circumstance i really just 180 my life as far as um, slowing down and just taking care of myself and doing more yoga and meditation and all that stuff and it really helped me to find my new path which is to be an artist, an entrepreneur, and to focus back on my own music and as a thought leader and mentor to other uh, people in my community, especially women. And so I'm very grateful now um, that it happened because I have a completely different perspective on my life.
0: And now you also have a Transmute retreat, right, where you Mm -hmm. teach people wellness and health?
1: Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I did the first transmute retreat last year, and it combines health, wellness, and live performance. So my one of my main passions is live performance. I'm a live performer, and I've mentored quite a few live performers along the way. And so I started this transmute retreat to combine my loves of all of those things into one week-long just amazing experience, and it was very, very successful um, and Through that, I decided to form my transmute accelerator program, which is my first online program for live performers, and it also has these elements of health and wellness in it. What do you
0: think is one of the top mistakes that people make with their live performance, especially people who are just starting out, mm-hmm. and how can they overcome that
1: mm. so I see a lot of people that don't really know the technology and troubleshooting. I think that's the main thing. They get all this gear. They don't know how to use all of it just to the best of its ability. They don't know what to do when something goes wrong on stage. And so you, if you're using technology, there's things that are bound to go wrong, no matter who you are, you know, because t- sometimes things just behave. There's a ghost in the machine, right? Right. So Yeah, there is. Yeah, so like... <laughs> You know, not having a backup, not having some sort of other way to perform your music live uh, if something were to go down with your main system, not knowing what to do in that moment where all of a sudden the sound card stops or Mm -hmm. the controller is not working or not knowing how to talk to the people that are doing your sound at the venue and explaining to them what you need and advancing your show. And just the, the main thing is just, I think not knowing how to utilize the technology and to be able to troubleshoot it. And that's the most terrifying thing. And I see artists all the time, especially artists that I've helped. They'll be, in the moment on stage. And if something goes wrong, they just freeze because they're not, they don't know exactly what to do, like how to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And in your program, do you teach them the intricacies of the technology or if not, what's a way that someone could go about learning that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's a whole module on being your own tech. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I've worked with a lot of major artists They have people, tons of people to tech their stuff. They don't have to worry about it. But on a smaller level, when you're just starting out and you're using technology for the first time, you don't have a budget to bring a whole other tech person on with you. So you need to learn how to wear all of the hats. And so my program really teaches you from step one, how do you start building your show all the way through building your show and having something to show for it?
0: And... I want to really talk about your artistry because it's it's pretty amazing what you're doing and the different mediums you're combining and the sounds that you're coming up with. I know you'd released projects in the past mm-hmm. underneath a different name. Yeah. And I was interested in that. I wanted to know why you chose that and why now you're finally coming out under mm. your own name.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I had an artist name way back in the day when I first started out. And then I started going by my own name. And then somewhere around 2011, I... I just decided I wanted to be a character, you know, I wanted to have a persona that was separate from myself as someone who's working with different artists and I wanted to separate those two parts of myself and to make it I thought it would be easier for people to understand, and mm-hmm. easier for me to understand if it was compartmentalized, right? So here's Laura over here, she works with these artists, she's an entrepreneur and then Alex was my artist name. And it was, it was really cool. I spent a lot of time building up the Alux brand I was performing quite a bit and doing shows. And I think I started thinking about it sometime around when I had the health breakdown and it's just this voice, inner voice started getting louder and louder. And I was like, but you just want to be yourself, right? Like why can't, you know, it, you don't need to compartmentalize. You can just be all of the things. Right. and, I was like, I was so busy and worried about what other people would think, I think, <laughs> rather I than what I thought and what made sense for me. And I just constantly found myself in other people's thoughts and heads. What are the, what are people going to think? And if, making up yeah, stories about it. making up stories, mm-hmm. right. And so when I finally, last year, I decided, you know what? I am who I am and I do all of these things. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a live show programmer, designer. I'm an artist. And really things started coming together after I made that switch. And I think a lot of my fans were shocked because they were like, What happened to Alex? We love Alex and this is a certain thing. Like, I am Alex. Right. But now people I, I think more so than ever, people just get it. And they're like, yeah. Oh, you're you. You've always been you and this is exciting.
0: So how can we really start to commit to ourselves and being the full essence of who we are? Like what are some steps that you took in your wellness routine, in your Creative process that allowed you just to be comfortable being you in mm-hmm. all of your entirety and all of your greatness.
1: Mm. Meditation for sure has helped me quite a bit, but the and just being still and just mm-hmm. being slowing down, but. Last summer, I went to Byron Katie's School for the Work. What's Not that? For if, she's a, an author. She okay. wrote this book called Loving What Is and a bunch of other books, and she teaches thought work. And there's four questions that you ask yourself when you have a thought, and the first step is to be aware of the thought that you're having and then question it. Like, is it absolutely true? Is this thought 100% true? How do you know that it's true? who would you be without that thought? So imagine, okay, if I couldn't think this thought at all, who would I be? Really just embody that and just like sit in that and then turn it around, right? So um, if you have the thought, people won't recognize me. I had the thought, people won't recognize me as an artist if I don't have an artist name, right? And I realized, oh, that's a belief that I have that I'm holding on to. And then I just turned it around. I was like, well, I won't recognize myself as an artist and then it was like oh wow I'm the one who's actually putting myself in the box not all the other people right and I had Mic this <laughs> right I had I had that reoccurring thought and so it was it was right after this retreat I made some big shifts in my life and one of the first ones was okay I'm just gonna go by my name now and that just whole process really helped me
0: that's a great exercise. Mm-hmm. I hope that you do that listening and I'm going to mm-hmm. do it as Definitely soon as I leave Definitely check
1: here. out. Yeah, there's four <laughs> questions. You can, it's free. I mean, you can look it up online. Highly recommend it. And the the school for the work is nine days and it was nine days, no phone, no laptop, no makeup, no, I mean, it literally was life changing. Stripped it was, you down to you. Yeah, to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And People got up in front of, you know, hundreds of people and shared their stories and worked through things. And I just saw just so many beautiful shifts happen. One woman, she saw her father kill her mother when she was a young child. And she experienced a profound shift in the moment. And just witnessing that, I was like, wow, if she can shift this, right, this huge thing that she's been holding on to for 40 years then we can shift these things in our lives that are on a smaller scale, right? And so, you know, and everyone's journey is different. And, you know, some things, yeah, it's not to compare at all, but that's like a major, just seeing something Mm -hmm. so major just really affected me.
0: Now, had you already come out with your Transmute project prior to this, or was that birthed out after this happened?
1: So I'd been working on the music, but Mm -hmm. it was it was after this happened that I just decided to go all in and I was like, okay, I'm going to put this music out. I've been sitting on the music for like a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, I'm not sure what to do this. And, you know, just not really putting a solid plan in place and not finishing, doing the finishing touches on it. And so Yeah, it absolutely propelled me. I was like, okay, I'm changing my name. I'm putting out new music. I'm performing more. I'm just really putting forth who I am just in my entirety and just not holding back.
0: And what's the thesis statement of this album and these songs?
1: Yeah, so Transmute, uh, it's obviously my retreat. It's my program. It's this term that I locked in on a few years ago and because I just love the idea of transmuting energy right from one place to another. And I really wanted to embody that and feel that, I had shifted who I was then to who I am now. And so by using that term transmute every time I hear it it reminds me that I'm always constantly morphing and shifting as an artist, as a human and just becoming a better person all the time. And so yeah, it's just one of my the phrases that just really brings me back home and centers myself.
0: And how would you describe the sound? Because it's like, I I think I read something online here. I'm going to see if I can find it. Oh, finding a future classical sound. What does that mean to you? And and how would you describe the sound?
1: Basically, it's all of my classical influences mixed with futuristic sounds, bass, bass, synths. just forward-thinking sounds uh, that you wouldn't normally expect to hear with some classical sounds. So it's really just the mashing of those two together. And also just it's more emotive than my previous work as Alux, which was very much more party-rocking, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> dancey, the trappy beats, which I love as well. But I wanted to to make it more introspective and more about who I am as Laura, and tell a story, and um, so yeah, the the song Transmute has got some lyrics, and it was the first time that I'd really sang a full song myself, and it was like, okay, you have something to say, you're gonna you're gonna do it, and I'm not a trained singer at all, I'm a trained violinist. I like
0: your voice. Aw, thank you. It's very angelic. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and putting that out there, I think I was hanging back because I I didn't want. I didn't think and view myself as a singer, but I came to this place where I was like, you know what? I'm expressing myself and this is the way that I want to do it. I'm going to put this out there.
0: So if somebody is sitting, because you said you sat on a lot of that music for a year. Yeah. I know you had to go through that transformation, but if somebody is really being choke held, choke held Mm -hmm. in a choke hold Mm -hmm. with fear. Yeah. How do they overcome that and put their creativity forth into the world?
1: Well, I think one of the ways is to question your thoughts around mm-hmm. what what you're believing about this. Like, what is going to happen to you if you release this music? Are you afraid of what other people are going to say, how they're going to judge you? Are you judging yourself? Are you judging yourself more than other people are judging you? And also just to not be so precious about little things you know because i'm a right. perfectionist and everything needs to be perfect and i just really just came to the place where i was like okay one of the people that I listen to, Brooke Castillo, she's got this amazing podcast, the Life Coach School podcast, and she talks about doing B minus work, right? <laughs> you know, so, like, okay, it's still good. You're still in it's the B, good, and you're getting things out. Yeah, you know, you're getting things out, but it's not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And I think once I started subscribing to that a little bit more, like, okay. Uh, this might not be perfect, but I'm just going to put it out and move on. Like I used, I'm much more relaxed now, especially about, you know, like videos of myself where I used to be like, oh my gosh, I don't like the angle or the way that I look or whatever. And it's like, it's a two second clip and people, you know, aren't seeing what I'm seeing. And, and it's fine and so what and just move forward and put some like just be authentic and put it out so I think just reminding myself of that stuff has really helped
0: And you also spoke to mentorship and how important that has been to you. Mm -hmm. What role has that played in your life? And how can somebody who's listening and a creative themselves start to give back to younger generations or even people who are their age who want to kind of shift careers? Because I I believe in the power of the late bloomer.
1: Um, Oh, man. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. me too. I
0: I think that a lot of people – feel like it's too late for them. And that breaks my heart. And I don't think it's really ever true. No. And so part of my mission with this podcast is to help people who are in that stage to break out of the, the, the stories they've told themselves.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I have several mentors and coaches that I work with. And I just mentioned the Life Coach School podcast, which I really recommend. It's free. It's every Thursday. Lots of gems dropped there. But I work with a few people and I didn't have any mentors for a long time, right? And I felt like I was mentoring a lot, but not being mentored. And I found a coach two years ago who really helped me hone in on what I'm doing and just to see what I had and what I had was really amazing already and not to the road all away because it was hard or challenging. So that has been uh, great for me to to work with him. His name is Patrick Ermlick, uh from New York. Shout and, out to Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> and so working with mentors like that, going to therapy...
0: I love therapy. (laughs) I have a song called therapy. It's
1: the greatest thing in the
0: world. Everyone should do it. Yeah. Our culture is finally coming around. But man, like it's still, when I go back to Michigan and I talk about therapy, people Mm -hmm. look at me like I just said, hey, the building's on fire. Right. And I'm like, no, guys, it's great. You great go right now. I want you to go.
1: Yeah. Oh, life changing. Yeah. People ask me, how do I shift? I'm like, Go get therapy, go get a coach. Right. Like, it's worth the money. It's worth the investment. There's
0: nothing else. Yeah. If you do not invest in your mental health, you have nothing. You don't have your physical health. You don't have your relationships. You don't have your career. Bye. Absolutely. Yeah. Invest in your mental health. Even if you have to go into debt, you'll make it back tenfold.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. the Just the shifts that I've made from investing in these people has been incredible. So yeah, yeah definitely, it, yeah, getting some mentors, finding some mentors. And if you can't afford it, like finding someone who wants to do a trade with you or someone like that's – you know, maybe they've got some insights – then mm-hmm. you can share some insights with them. There's always a way. There's always a way. There's groups out there. There's The students. modern
0: day barter is mm-hmm. still in action, folks. Mm-hmm. I do it all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. It's great.
1: Yeah. 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 So... Definitely recommend that. And then as far as me being a mentor, yeah, I mean, I just, I love it. Like, I love mentoring the next generation because they are, first of all, inspiring to me. They keep me young and youthful. They help me. I've learned things all the time from when I'm mentoring the younger folks. And, you know, there's just something amazing and just self-fulfilling about giving back, you know, and Mm -hmm. just really helping people to follow in my footsteps or just to figure out what kind of steps they want to take on their own. Maybe not necessarily the way that the path that I've gone, but just showing what's possible, showing the possibilities of what one can do out there. And I think my whole life I've been doing that just, Hey, I'm going to go try this. Okay. This is possible. Let me show you that it's possible and you can make your own informed decision about what you want to do.
0: And you have broken so many boundaries as a human, But really also as a woman, and I want to give you props for that because I know it could not have been easy being in the industries you were in with your gender just, -hmm. like, kicking ass. How did you break those glass ceilings, and what's your advice for other people who are minorities in their field?
1: Mm, Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you no that you can't do it. Yeah, because I got told no a lot when I was Mm -hmm. younger, and I sometimes I step back, you know, but then I stopped stepping back. I started just, okay, I realize that you think that I can't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I just grew into my power, you know? And so I see the younger generation are, t- today though, they, some of them are really fearless and they're like, Oh, you're telling me, no, I'm going to just go and do it times a hundred then. And I think that's a great attitude to have, you know, cause there's, We put ourselves in these boxes, you know, and if you subscribe to the boxes that other people are putting you in, then you're not going to win for yourself. Yeah.
0: And with women, there's a lot of talk of having it all. I'm turning 30 in a week and I'm actually finally happy about that. Like I remember when I turned 20. This is crazy. I cried. <laughs> fuck her like by that I mean my younger self like you you're yeah. perfect you're in college just do your thing yeah. but but there's so much pressure put on us to achieve by a young age and if you don't do this by this age then you're not good enough totally and so i don't know i guess i i've recently realized like i'm i'm doing things in my own time and i think everybody does things in their own time and when it's right for them but mm-hmm. do you think it's true what they say like we can have it all and why or why not and how has that kind of like How has your opinion of that changed as you've grown as a human?
1: I definitely think you can have it all. And I also think choosing the things that you want to have is very important, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can burn yourself out if you try to do everything. Um, But that being said, I'm almost 40. (laughs) Well, you've (laughs) achieved so much. You're amazing. And, and, you know, and I'm one of those people who a lot of women and people, when they start getting older, they're like, oh, I'm not going to share how old I am, or it's like a shame thing, like, oh, I need to stay young, and I need to say that I'm 25 still, and for me, I'm just like, okay, I'm almost 40, and I've done all this stuff, and it's great, and I'm still rocking it, and I'm going to continue to rock it, and I'm going to just be open with that, and so I think just being comfortable with with who you are and just where you're at, no matter what you've achieved, is just the key, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And you, I also read a quote from you that said, you know, even with everything I've done, I feel like I'm just beginning. Uh How do you think that hunger encourages you? And do you think that's a better place to be rather than feeling like, oh, yes, I've done all these things? Or is it Mm. kind of like a mixture of the two for you?
1: I mean, I definitely never think that I've accomplished or done enough. I recently I've started to look at that and started to realize, okay, no, yeah, I've done a lot. I should be proud. And I and I've been proud. I but that hunger to do more just keeps me going. And so I I like it, but it's important to take a a rest every now and again and just realize, "Okay, I've done all of these things. I should be proud of it." And not to have a big head about it or to have an attitude or anything like that. It's just acknowledging yourself and loving mm-hmm. yourself and being where you're at and just Being okay with that, you know, and to give yourself props when you need to give yourself props. Right. Be your
0: own life coach when you need to,
1: you know. Yeah, definitely.
0: And speaking of age, I always like to ask people this because I think of my inner child a lot. Yeah. And I want to talk about five-year-old Laura. Uh, Okay. So if five-year-old Laura was standing in front of you today, what would you say to her
1: and why? I would say... Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Because you're loved and you're beautiful and talented and amazing just the way that you are. And if
0: five-year-old Laura was standing in front of you looking at everything you are, this amazing woman, this multi-hyphenate, this artist, entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. live show designer, just technology genius, Mm -hmm. what do you think she would say to you and why?
1: <laughs> probably the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's always a journey, you know, it's a journey to loving ourselves and we just keep chipping away at the self-love, you know, mm-hmm. just continue to love yourself and to support yourself. Yeah, the the more you lighten up on the pressure on yourself, the more free you're going to be and the more happy you're going to be in your life, and your, in your career.
0: And what would be your creative wish for yourself and for all creatives really in 2019?
1: Freedom, just to be free, to be completely free, to be who you are, to be the badass that you are. Yeah. Don't hold back. Just put it all out there. Thank you for
0: listening and to Laura Escaday for being such a great guest. For more info on her, follow her social media at Laura Escaday. That's L-A-U-R-A-E-S-C-U-D-E. And check out her website, laurascuday.com. You can also listen to her amazing Transmute EP on Spotify and Apple Music. I highly recommend it. It is so unique. A special thank you to Nicole Poulos at Sideways Media for bringing Laura on the show and for being so supportive. Check out Nicole's company, Sideways Media, at sideways-media.com. And if you need a badass music publicist, she's unbelievable. Thanks to my co-producer, Juliette Weber. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. And thank you for, again, supporting this show. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, post about it, and tell a friend. Please let me know what kind of creatives you want to hear on the show, too, and topics that would be most helpful to you. You can reach out to me on social media, at Lauren LaGrasso, and at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook, and at Creative on Twitter. Continue to send me your creative check-ins so I can feature them here and on our socials. I believe in you. You deserve to get your work out there. And if you haven't gotten your work out there yet, you can do it. We're all here to support you. And I hope you have a great week filled with creativity, love, and
1: knowing in your heart that you are enough. Talk soon.